Hello and welcome to the Health Advocate podcast. My name is Rebecca Haddock and I'm the Director at the Diebel Institute for Health Policy Research at the Australian Healthcare and Hospitals Association. It's been a devastating start to 2020 with fires across Australia claiming land, home and lives. In this two-part podcast series, we will be exploring the damaging effects of the bushfires upon the health of Australians. Joining us first is Professor Satiris Vadalakis from the Australian National University. Satiris is a Professor of Global Environmental Health at the College of Health and Medicine at the ANU. Thanks for taking the time to speak to us today. Thank you and welcome to our centre. Satiris, this summer's bushfire crisis has resulted in smoke blanketing many of our major cities and regional areas. Here in Canberra, for example, we've been suffering on and off for months. In fact, on many days, the smoke has exceeded safe levels and we've even recorded the worst air quality in the world on occasion. We've heard a lot about using PM2 masks to protect ourselves from the negative effects of the smoke, but can you tell us what the PM stands for and what are we actually protecting ourselves from? So what's in the bushfire smoke? Bushfire smoke is a mixture of of chemicals, gases and particles, which are emitted during the the combustion of of fuel in the bush, in the forest. And this is transformed to some extent when it is emitted and when it is uh, transported by the wing in the atmosphere. So the mixture of chemicals that may include uh, nitrogen oxides, carbon monoxide, it includes volatile organic compounds, and also, as I said, very fine, very small particles, which can penetrate deep into our respiratory system, go into our lungs. And the smaller the particles, the deeper they go into the respiratory systems, and they can uh, translocate into our bloodstream causing inflammation, causing knock-on effects on several organs. The main risk is associated with these fine particles, and uh, we call them PM2.5. That means that these particles are smaller than uh, 2.5 microns in in diameter. And these are the most harmful ones because they can penetrate deep into the respiratory system. So what do these high levels of air pollution actually mean for our health? And do we actually know what the long-term impact of the smoke will be on our health? The fine particles which are emitted from uh, bushfires can be transported over long distances and affect populations very far from the fire front. And they have an impact on the health immediately, but also potentially in the medium and long term. These fine particles uh, come from different sources. They also do have PM2.5 coming from uh, transport, from industry, power generation, domestic sources, wood burning. So it's a metric of air pollution that comes from uh, many sources. And there is a lot of scientific debate regarding the toxicity of the particles. But the current knowledge indicates that particles coming from bushfires are equally toxic as particles coming from other sources. We need further work in this area to identify and uh, characterize this, the toxicity of those particles. But our current knowledge indicates that these particles are not less harmful than particles from industry or traffic. Because there is a myth that particles coming from natural sources are less harmful. But of course, this has not been uh, proven to be true so far with the research we've seen. And of course, these particles come from combustion. So they have a carbon core. They're coated with a number of chemicals and they can cause uh, toxicity. They can cause uh, oxidative stress on the linings of the lung. And as I said, this can have a knock-on effect on uh, the respiratory system and also on the cardiovascular system. Um, you touched on the fact that we don't know some of the effects that the smoke is having on us. Can you comment on any research being done in Australia around exposure to bushfire smoke in our health? The bushfire smoke uh, can have effects immediately and prolonged effects as well, potentially. 
And what we've seen in, from research in Australia is that on, on high bushfire uh, smoke days, we have increased mortality rates in cities which are exposed to bushfire smoke. We also see that we have increases in uh, hospital admissions, mainly for respiratory causes. Also, we have more uh, emergency department attendances, we have more uh, GP consultations and more ambulance call-outs. This is mainly for respiratory causes, but we see, in some cases, increase in other outcomes as well. There have been a number of studies from uh, Sydney, from uh, New South Wales, mainly the East Coast, and there is evidence also from international studies. I can comment on the effects of air pollution more generally. So when we look at air pollution, this affects our health immediately. When we have high air pollution levels, especially high PM2.5 levels, we see an increase in mortality rates in cities which are exposed to pollution. And when we follow population groups, we have a cohort study following populations, population groups over many years, we see that people living in the most polluted areas have a reduced life expectancy. Everybody's exposed to air pollution, and this reduction in life expectancy is relatively small. But when we put all this effect together, then it's a significant effect on, on public health because everybody is exposed. There, ha- there are burden of disease calculations studies, including for Australia. And we know that Australian cities, which usually uh, enjoy good air quality, they still uh, have a number of deaths attributable to particulate air pollution. And this is around 2,800 uh, deaths per year, which corresponds to around 2% of all-cause mortality. So it's a very significant impact on health, even in places where air quality is generally good. And this 2% of total uh, mortality is, is a significant impact that we need to be concerned about and, uh, and of course we need to take action. It's important to know that uh, air pollution, especially fine particles, affect health also at low concentrations. So there is no safe threshold for exposure to fine particles. And the more we reduce air pollution from different sources, from from bushfires, from traffic, from industry, from domestic sources, from power generation, the more we accrue benefits for health. So even if we reduce air pollution levels below the current standards, below the WHO, the World Health Organization uh, guideline values, we, we still accrue benefits for health. So it's very important to take action to reduce air pollution when we have episodes of, of bushfire smoke or episodes of other types of air pollution, but also more broadly reduce emissions from, uh, from all sectors which uh, can produce air pollutants as, as well as greenhouse gases. Therefore, there is an important opportunity there for public health to jointly mitigate climate change, reduce carbon emissions from different sectors, from uh, the power generation sector, from domestic sector, from traffic, from industry and at the same time reduce air pollutants which are directly emitting, emitted into the atmosphere have an effect on, on our health, including PM2.5, including nitrogen dioxide and uh, a number of other gases. And this important policy message uh, is something that we need to put across because sometimes the dialogue around climate change mitigation is very negative. We need to see that as an opportunity for us to clean the air provide better quality and, and better opportunities for uh, improved lifestyle, improved public health in, in Australian cities. At the Australian Healthcare and Hospitals Association, two of our colleagues were pregnant over the worst of the bushfire period and they were advised to stay inside and out of the smoke as much as possible, which was actually quite difficult at times because the smoke came into our office. What does prolonged smoke exposure mean for our more vulnerable populations? Most people who are exposed to bushfire smoke, they don't experience severe effects. They might experience some discomfort, some symptoms like irritated eyes or throat or nose, some coughing. 
and these symptoms go away after air quality improves a few days later. Even people exposed to high levels of air pollution, if they don't have any pre-existing problems, usually they recover quite quickly. And we've seen this with lung function tests in firefighters. The problem is mainly with people who are sensitive to air pollution, people who have existing health problems, especially respiratory problems, like people with asthma, emphysema, people with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. These people are more sensitive to air pollution from all sources and, and sensitive also to bushfire smoke. And even a relatively small increase in, in bushfire smoke levels could trigger an asthma attack or an exacerbation of an existing condition. Also, people with a cardiovascular disease, with heart disease, are sensitive to air pollution. And we have seen that there is an increased rate of people suffering from angina, chest pain, having an exacerbation of their condition. And also people suffering from irregular heart rate also can have an exacerbation. There is also some uh, evidence that people with diabetes are more sensitive and they have more difficulty controlling their blood sugar levels uh, during periods of higher pollution and they need to be cautious about their exposure levels. Of course, there are a number of sensitive groups in the population who may not have pre-existing conditions like uh, pregnant women, uh, young children and the elderly who are more sensitive to exposure to bushfire smoke and to other air pollutants. And this is because Either they are more exposed, like young children, they play outdoors, they're more active, they breathe in more air per body weight, and also their organs are developing, and therefore they are more sensitive to exposure to air pollution, and we want to make sure that we minimize their exposure, because this could potentially have a long-term effect. In most cases, we believe that children will recover, have a normal development of their respiratory system, But obviously there is a risk if the exposure is repeated over many years, if this pattern of very prolonged and intense bushfire seasons continues, there is a risk that this prolonged exposure may have an impact on lung growth and development of the respiratory system of children who are heavily exposed to bushfire smoke. With pregnant women, of course, there is a concern because the time window of the, of the fetus development is uh, shorter. There is some suggestive evidence that pregnant women exposed to bushfire smoke uh, give birth to slightly smaller babies. There are a number of studies, mainly from uh, North America, showing uh, reduced birth weight in children born after periods of bushfire smoke. And this is mainly related to exposure in the second and third trimester. The reduction in birth weight is very small uh, overall, so in most cases we can say that this is unlikely to have a long-term effect, but obviously there is some risk there. A recent study from Australia has also indicated that there is a increased risk of uh, gestational diabetes for uh, pregnant women exposed to, to heavy smoke. This study was carried out in Victoria's Hazelwood study in a coal mine fire. Of course, the nature of the smoke is different in that case, but the exposure levels are potentially comparable. So while learning from other types of pollution, the exposure window in that case was around six weeks, I believe. So it's comparable to the kind of exposures we experience in the, in the bushfire season. And of course, for these sensitive groups of pregnant women, young children, also I mentioned elderly people, those of certain age, typically those over 65 years old, are more sensitive to air pollution. They have less uh, natural defense mechanism to recover after a heavy exposure to pollutants. And they should take extra care to reduce their exposure. So it's important to to minimize exposure during periods of uh, heavier pollution. But of course, it's important to maintain some level of normality in our daily lives and and not to over worry about uh, air pollution levels. We need to be practical about our approach to air pollution. A good way of reducing our exposure is to follow air quality data online, follow the aerator app 
which has... I think we all have that on our phones. Which all, everybody has these days and follow the levels of air pollution in their location and also the forecast within the next 24 hours and time their activities in a way that minimizes their exposure. For example, what we've seen in Sydney is that we have relatively better air quality early in the morning during the bushfire season and then we had more smoke in the afternoon and then we have better air quality again around midnight. So if somebody times their activity in a way that they're more active, uh, they do outdoor um, exercising or commuting uh, in early morning and then stay indoors uh, during the worst period of the day when air pollution is very high in the afternoon and then potentially ventilate in the evening. We, ne- we still need to ventilate our houses. Uh, so it's better to ventilate in a period of time when the air quality is better. If they use this kind of uh, this pattern, that will minimize their exposure to, to bushfire smoke and, and air pollution. I, w- I would like to add there are a number of other groups in our communities which are uh, more sensitive to air pollution and potentially more exposed to air pollution from bushfires and other sources, including outdoor workers, including homeless people. People living in uh, substandard housing are more affected because they live in leaky houses, so air pollution eventually will penetrate into the indoor environment. It's very difficult for people living in old houses to keep up the bushfire, to, to keep the smoke outside their houses. And these, these people are potentially exposed to higher levels of pollution and they have less capacity to adapt, less capacity to take measures to reduce their exposure. We also need to be conscious about people who have a low literacy level or groups of immigrants who may not have English as the first language. And also some other groups might be more exposed to air pollution. We are particularly concerned and work together with Aboriginal communities and we want to make sure that we minimise the exposure of Aboriginal people to air pollution. So in terms of our health, what lessons can we as a community take from this experience to prepare for the future? And what do you think we have done well during this recent crisis and what, what didn't we do well? It is important to learn about air pollution, familiarise ourselves with the evidence, with the data, with the kind of information which is available. There is a need for more information and real-time data of of air pollution, especially PM2.5. Some of the information is presented as an index. Sometimes these indexes are not very consistent and not very helpful. And some of the health messaging has been inconsistent across different jurisdictions, across different states and territories. So it's important to have access to real-time hourly PM2.5 data that in our location. This will improve if we have more monitoring stations. So we advocate for more air quality monitoring stations in different states and territories. And we need consistency in the data and the way they are presented and also in the health messaging which goes with this information. So you touched on the fact that different information is being produced across the different jurisdictions and states and so on. What do you think our governments should actually be doing to help reduce the risk of hazardous levels of air pollution to people's health? We need a coordinated and consistent approach across different parts of the country, across states and territories. Of course, we need to think and plan about risk reduction, prescribed burning. Uh, But of course, we need to be aware that even prescribed burns emit air pollution and and smoke. So we need to examine other ways of reducing the risk, uh, which might not involve burning the fuel in the bush and the forest. It's also important to have better monitoring of of air quality in different locations. So we realise that there are places where air quality is very sparse and these data need to be presented in a consistent way uh, as real-time PM2.5 data which are easier to interpret and help people to take action to reduce their exposure. Importantly, we need more work and more ambitious targets for climate change mitigation. This is very important because 
the same sources of air pollution in our cities and more broadly will emit carbon dioxide and also local air pollutants like fine particles like nitrogen dioxide, like carbon monoxide. By minimizing the greenhouse gas emissions, we also minimize emission of local pollutants into the atmosphere. Therefore, when we mitigate climate change, we effectively take action to reduce local air pollution and improve our health in the immediately, as well as obviously improving our health in the medium and long term by reducing the effects of climate change. We also need to be aware that some of the effects of climate change, like increased temperatures, overheating, act synergistically with air pollution. So high temperatures will increase the risk of bushfires. Very dry weather conditions will increase the risk of bushfires. But also, when we are exposed to air pollution from bushfire smoke and uh, heat, high temperature at the same time, this effect can act synergistically and, and increase the impact on the population. For this reason, it's important to tackle air pollution and climate change at the same time and avoid some potentially unintended negative effects. There have been some policies in the past in other parts of the world where diesel vehicles were promoted because they have better fuel economy and they were promoted as a climate change mitigation policy, but that had a very negative effect on local air quality. The same can be said about biofuels and about wood burning. So there were policies promoting wood burning because that was better in terms of climate change mitigation, but again, this had a very negative effect on local air quality. Therefore, it's important to have joined up policies which aim to mitigate climate change and at the same time improve local air quality and reduce the risk of, uh, of bushfires in Australia. Satirus, is there anything you would like to add for our listeners? Some of the mitigation measures, some of the measures to reduce exposure relate to the quality of the built environment. Houses in Australia are typically very leaky, especially older houses, so it's important to understand how we can best reduce inward pollution, pollution coming into the indoor environment from outdoors by providing more airtight housing. Air conditioning can help on recirculate mode if there is effective filtration of air. Portable air cleaners are also effective when they are at appropriate size for the room where we use them. And also, we need to be cautious when we use face masks, which is another method to reduce exposure, which has been very much debated in the press. Face masks are effective only if they have a very good seal around the mouth and nose, and only the professional masks, which are P2 rated or N95 rated, are effective. Improvised masks, clinical masks or t-shirts, they don't provide any effective uh, protection from bushfire smoke, and they can also give a false sense of security to people who are using them. So it's important when people are using face masks that they a good facial fit around the mouth and nose. And of course, we don't have effective masks for children. It's a concern. So overall, we don't recommend masks as a general health protection measure because they're not made specifically for children and the general population are made for special groups. But of course, in an extreme situation, we've seen people wearing masks and we want to make sure that they make the best out of them. Juris, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you for being in touch with the Australian National University and we're very happy to help the future and uh, of course in relation to the bushfire crisis and other environmental health risks and hazards. Thanks for listening to this special edition of the Health Advocate podcast. Our next podcast features Dr Sebastian Rosenberg, Head of the Mental Health Policy Unit at the Centre for Mental Health Research, also at the ANU. Sebastian will discuss his experiences with climate over the last few months and also what the impact of climate change means for the mental health of Australians. You can listen to our podcast by visiting SoundCloud or typing the Health Advocate into your podcast app. Keep up to date with the AAHA by following us on Twitter at OzHealthCare or by visiting our website. Music